My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. Aloha, amigos, and welcome back to the Ansons podcast. We've got kind of a fun one for you this week. It's actually with John Dale, who's a member of the Ransom Heart and Ansons team. We recorded a few episodes back when we were kicking this podcast off the ground to some guys here around the outposts, just trying to get loosened up um, and ended up finding killer content in them. We ended up doing one with Alex that we turned into an article for Ansons. And this is one we did with JD that we just felt it was too good not to share. So this is your warning. This was a practice episode, so you'll notice that some of the questions we ask are going to seem a little out of place. Sam uses the word advantageous more than one time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anyway, no, it's good stuff. It's a great word. But what John Dale ends up talking about around business and marketing and modern economy and a walk with God is totally phenomenal. Keep in mind the questions are practice questions, but the content is very real. And enjoy this episode. John, thanks for being on. Hey, it's, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, we read in one of your recent articles that uh, you're trying to squeeze in as much dirt biking as possible before the snows come to Colorado. Have you been uh, successful with that? Uh, I, I wish, I wish, I wish the answer to that was yes. Uh, but the truth is my dirt bikes have been sitting safely in the garage unmoved for, the, for much of the last 30 days. Um, so thankfully, we did manage to get out quite a bit over the summer, but the last 30 days uh, have not been what I hoped they would be when I wrote that article. Dang. Uh, well, they are safe, as are probably your limbs from not getting on the bike. That's true. John, where we want to start is, we know you have a pretty interesting story with business and marketing that's a little unconventional. Um, would you just kind of tell us where marketing started to come online for you? Yeah, so I wish I could say that it was uh, very deliberate that I had this master plan and uh, sought out all kinds of education and ended up in the field that that I've spent most of my career in. But the the truth is, um, when Amy and I got married, I needed a job, and I looked at the classifieds in my local newspaper. That was a long time ago, before Craigslist, and uh, there was a a classified ad for a company that sold newspaper advertising to small businesses. And I responded to that ad. And uh, that was the beginning of my career in advertising and marketing. Um, I, I figured out pretty quickly that I had a, a knack for uh, both for selling things to people and also for helping uh, companies sell themselves to others. And so what started off with me literally being in a a smoke-filled room selling advertising over the phone began a a career and a journey that's now spanned, I guess, 20 years um, and thankfully uh, moved away from selling advertising on the phone uh, to to things that have been much more interesting. Wow. So uh, 
when you kind of fell into it, was there a moment that you realized marketing was actually a good fit for your personality? So, yeah, I think I think I was I was good at it, uh, meaning I actually was able to make a living at it, and most people aren't. Um, and I very quickly found myself, much to the chagrin of my employer at the time, uh, spending a lot of time in conversations with companies about their story, about how they could more effectively reach people. And I wasn't always very focused on actually selling uh, the advertising that I was, you know, that I was supposed to be trying to sell them. Uh, and I realized that um, I, I had a number of times when uh, people said to me, hey, I, I don't want to buy that ad that you're trying to sell me, but I'd happily pay you for your advice on this. Hmm. And I, I just sort of, like, I realized that something about the way that I saw things um, and the way I was able to communicate ideas and see opportunities, um, that that resonated with people. And that that has ended up opening a, a lot of doors over the years. You know, it sounds like in your conversations, you had a pretty unique vision. How did you go about developing uh, the ability to solve those problems uniquely in a way that was uh, really valuable to those companies? That's a great question, Blaine. So I think what what I found myself doing that was unique is I found myself taking things that I had learned and read and seen in other situations and applying them to situations with my clients. And so where where that was really valuable is I, I'm a voracious learner. I love reading. Um, I love studying things. Um, you know, I get all kinds of magazines and I, I read all kinds of stuff. Um, and somehow in there, I found that I have an ability when faced with a situation or with a, a challenge that, that someone has to draw on all those different areas of experience um, and draw, draw dots between things that maybe other people haven't seen. So a recent, a recent example uh, would be the folks that I work with now. Um, with Ransomed Heart, we have been facing a situation for a few years where it has become very apparent to us that the way that people consume our resources has been changing. Uh, without going into a lot of details, you know, we began to see that the sales of our physical resources, those numbers were declining. And most other nonprofits have just kind of looked at that and said, oh, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, it's just a sign of the time. I guess people are shifting to YouTube and podcasts and this kind of stuff. And what we did at Ransom Heart, what I brought to the team was I said, hey, I think there's an opportunity here for us to do something that's along the lines of like Netflix or Amazon Prime. What if we offered our resources on a subscription model where people pay a monthly fee to have access to those. And so we launched this thing called the Ransom Heart Tribe, um, and it's ended up being um, very effective, both for allowing us to get resources into people's hands, um, and uh, it's, it's worked out well from financially so that we have the resources we need, the financial resources we need to continue producing things for people. All of us were using Amazon and iTunes and Netflix and paying for things on a monthly basis. For some reason, the dots connected in my head. And I said, we just need to look at this a different way. I found myself 
making those kinds of leaps a lot over the years. If we go back a little bit further, I remember many years ago when the the CEO of one of the largest publishing companies in the world um, asked me some questions about what I saw as the future of publish- publishing. And at the time, you know, I was in my probably my late twenties, early thirties, and I saw that there was a huge opportunity for authors to connect directly with their readers. You see, publishing is a really interesting business because book publishers historically have not ever sold books directly to the end customer. They sell books to, you know, to middlemen, wholesalers who then sell it to bookstores and bookstores send, send it, sell it to the end customer. And so there's no connection between someone who's reading a book and someone who's writing a book. Mm-hmm. And so what I told this guy was, I think there's a huge opportunity to connect readers with authors. And that if you connect people who share a passion around a topic uh, with the person who's the thought leader in that space and with each other, that really amazing things could happen. Um, and so these are some of the early days of like online social networks. Um, and now it's, you know, everyone's doing that. But thankfully, we were at a place where we were kind of on the forefront of, of some of that stuff happening. Um, and again, it wasn't like I, I didn't invent social networks. Like MySpace was a thing. Facebook was coming on strong. Um, but there was this ability to say, hey, what what maybe makes sense over here, I think it could also apply in this other situation. And and that sort of thinking outside of the box, I think, has been has been helpful and, and it's where I'm able to bring value. Yeah, I don't know. Does that, does that answer your question at all? I think it definitely does. It sounds phenomenally uh, advantageous to your employers and to new projects. I'm wondering if there's a set of like questions when you approach something that you ask yourself, um, like simple things that you sort of go, are there ways we can make this easier? Are there ways we can make this better? Those sorts of questions are the things that you find yourself coming back to when you come to a new project or a new task. I would answer that in two ways. One thing is what seems really obvious to me. Because one of the things that I've learned over the years is that what seems really obvious to me may not be obvious to everyone else in the room. Mm. And so I think a lot of times, like the, we, we each have, from my perspective, God-given abilities, talents. And when we're operating inside who we are, who God designed us to be, it feels very, very normal. But what's normal for you, Sam, or for you, Blaine, may be very abnormal for someone else. And so I remember early, earlier years kind of feeling like, man, I don't have anything to add to this conversation because what I'm going to add, like they've not, no one said it yet, but everyone's got to see this. Um, And it turns out that is often not the case that when we operate within our glory, it feels completely normal to us, but to other people, it's something that's very unique. Uh, and then I th- I'd say the second piece is just ask the question, like, how can we look at this from a completely different direction? Like, let's, let's change the facts and ask ourselves, how would we do this differently uh, given a certain set of things? So for example, let's, you know, if we're looking at um, you know, a meeting that we're going to have. What if we ask ourselves the question, what would we do if we didn't have power? Therefore, we 
didn't have lights, we couldn't use, you know, a PA system. Like, how would we do it differently? And sometimes when all of a sudden you completely change, like, your operating parameters, you'll come at things much more easily from a different direction. And all of a sudden you're, you know, doing stuff in small groups outside, which might have been a better way to approach it in the first place anyway. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Along those lines, then, it sounds like people tend to really get into patterns, whether that's, you know, interpersonally or in business or in marketing. Are there a few typical ways that people tend to get into thinking about business that are just totally wrong? I think one of the ways that people think about business that, in my belief, is wrong is that a lot of people, I think especially um, younger people, look at business slash capitalism and say that it's often a win-lose proposition, meaning somebody makes a profit by taking advantage of someone else who loses in that transaction. And I think that actually where business provides the most value is when both parties win. So when I work with a client or within, you know, in current case where I have sort of an employer, um, that only works if it's a win for me and it's a win for them. So if they don't feel like they're receiving as much or more value than what they're paying me, um, they're, they're going to feel as though they're losing. What I want the situation to be is I want them to feel like they're getting more value than they're paying for. And the win for me is I'm actually getting as much or more value than I happen to put in. And I think that's, that can be the case. And when you look at, when you look at it that way, um, there are huge opportunities for capitalism or for business uh, to help solve a lot of the problems um, that exist in the world. Yeah, it'd be a pretty phenomenal way of interacting. That language of, um, of value creation and of problem solving, and even in our personal lives, there are uh, lots of business ideas and ventures that come up for Sam and I that kind of have to sort between um, whether or not to launch and uh, what to invest our time in. Are there things um, that when you're thinking through uh, an idea kind of make it stand out to you as, you know, this is something that is worth investing my time in as a business? Or or how do you know when an idea for a business is actually something that you move towards? That's a great question and one that I've wrestled with a lot over the years. I'd I'd say a couple of uh, different directions to come at that from. for me personally, a lot of it has to do with walking with God in a situation. And so I'm really looking, um, I'm married, you know, I've been married for 20 years. Um, when I'm looking at new business ventures, new direction, um, it has a lot to do with are Amy and I on the same page? And do we both feel that we're getting a green light from God on this? So that would sort of may- maybe be the, the final check. Without that, we're not going to move forward. Um, I think as I'm thinking about it, one of the um, one of the tests that I use is I'm a big fan of creating uh, businesses that scratch one's own itch. And what I mean by that is just because there's a need out there in the marketplace for something 
doesn't mean that you're necessarily the person that should go pursue it. Um, a good example of this would be a company that I co-founded uh, eight, nine years ago, I guess at this point, um, that was one of the larger daily deals websites. And we, we started the business because we saw Groupon, we saw Living Social, and we thought there were some unique things we could bring to the space. Um, but I didn't have an intrinsic passion for the daily deals space. Like the idea of giving people great deals in their inboxes every day. Uh, it wasn't like I woke up in the morning with, you know, with a needing one more thing to spend my money on problem and was trying to solve that for people. And so one of the problems that we had or I had in that business was at the end of the day, I wasn't actually passionate about the product we were offering. Now, I was passionate about the company, about the people, about employing people, about a lot of other things, but I wasn't passionate about our core product. Um, and so I didn't last a long time. I ended up leaving that company um, just a, a year and a half into it. And thankfully, people that were more passionate than me about it continued to carry it on. Um, and so that that's one of those things is I, I do think that it's important if you're going to make that shift from, you know, just being an employee somewhere uh, to taking a risk and risking time and money and all these things. It's really, really helpful if that's something that you're passionate about and you're passionate about the change that whatever you're going to do, that change, what if you're passionate about the change that you'll make in the world through whatever it is that you're going to do. Um, and so uh, as far as like the, how do I, how, how do I look at business ideas and see if they make sense? Um, a lot of that has to do with like, just do things pass a basic sniff test. And so one of the rules that um, a, a good friend of mine, Seth Godin, uh, taught me, he said, when you're writing a business plan, no step in that business plan can be, and then the miracle happens. Uh, and you say, okay, well, so what does that mean? Well, a miracle happening is like it getting on, you know, Oprah. Uh, Oprah would be the miracle happening. Uh, the book you're writing becoming a New York Times bestseller would be the, the miracle happening. The YouTube algorithms um, choose you. Choosing your video, you know, just getting 10% of the available market. Like so many times people are like, hey, if we just did this and there's this many people that need it, and if we could just get... 5% of that. And I'm like, okay, that's the miracle happening. Hmm. Take the part that is the miracle and break that down into actionable steps and show me how you make that miracle happen. So yeah, that that's one of those just kind of rules of thumb. And, and you'll find it. Like when you have people start pitching you their ideas, almost always there's some step that for that step to happen is a miracle. And, and that's the part that you have to break down. You and Seth together sounded the kind of people who would break down where all the fish and the loaves came from. That's, um, <laughs> that's what I was hearing there for a second. I know there's a lot of right. young guys listening in who would love to have like the key to, oh, like I want meaning, I want purpose, I want passion, and I want to like give my time in the right places. Obviously, it's not always as easy as just here's the roadmap. But how has your your walk with God shaped the way that you understood your journey from your 20s on? And, and even, even take us back to what did your 20s look like? Let me start off with what my 20s looked like, and then we'll move forward to my late 20s when I began to actually wrestle with, these things, with those things. 
um, my 20s, I got married young. Um, I was 19. Amy uh, was 20. And I started a company right, right after that job I told you about where I answered a, an ad in a newspaper that got me into the field of, of advertising and marketing. I ended up starting my own company. Um, that is a, a fun and up and down roller coaster journey uh, that very nearly failed a couple of times, but ended up um, in my mid 20s uh, with a dozen employees and offices in a couple of different states um, and more money than a 20 year old should have. But I didn't uh, act very responsibly with that money. So even though we had really good cash flow, um, I still managed to somehow live beyond. Uh, my means, and uh, when some things went sideways in the business, um, I was I was upside down pretty quickly, uh, which which God actually used uh, to to redirect the the path of of our life, and I ended up uh, I guess probably around twenty five or twenty six, um, giving the company to some of the people that worked for me, and Amy and I went and spent six months in Australia with Youth with a Mission. Um, we literally gave away our soul to everything we owned, um, got on an airplane with Anna, who is 17 today and was uh, about six months old when we left. And we went to Australia, to Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, and uh, spent six months really learning how to hear the voice of God. And it was um, that that was a very clear turning point in our lives from me primarily chasing how do I make as much money as possible and get as rich as I can to now having this new grid, this new filter of what, what is it that God has for me? And that was followed by a, a season of a few years where I worked uh, for a nonprofit organization that was involved with stuff around the house church, which is a whole nother topic for another day. Um, but it was during that season that I ended up um, coming to one of the very early boot camps that your dad did uh, here in Colorado. And uh, that, that was the second thing, other than our time with YWAM, that really changed the trajectory um, of my life. And it was through diving into the message of Ransom Heart, of Wild at Heart, um, that I really came to the understanding that that longing that I had deep inside for meaning, especially in my work, for, for meaning in what I did every day, um, would never be fulfilled by a job. Um, and I think that's the mistake that so many of us make, is that we think the answer to that, that longing we have for meaning, purpose, and what we do, we think that the answer to that is finding the right job or the right business, or the right role somewhere. Um, and what, what I've come to realize is, no, actually, like that longing we have, that, that is a hunger for a journey that we need to take individually with God to become the kind of person that he wants us to be and to really walk into who he designed us to be when we are that person, the doors will open for a role that will be fulfilling for that person. Yeah, that's just huge. Um, I just want to go back just a second in the story, though, because probably when you made that first shift where you guys went to Australia, you didn't have a clarified picture of uh, devoting your life to 
who you were becoming uh, in union with God, but but enough of a shift had happened that uh, you weren't chasing uh, success in terms of the growth of your company. You were going to uh, go do something pretty radical with your young wife. Just that, that very first change that set you on that path. Uh, what changed in what you wanted uh, or what you wanted to accomplish that, that let you um, get out of that, you know, growing your business trap and uh, actually leave the country? Yeah, so that that part of my story um, is p- p- probably the most difficult. Some of the most difficult years of, years of my life uh, were in my early to mid twenties, when, from everyone's perception on the outside, uh, we were very very successful. You know, beautiful wife, beautiful baby, beautiful house, a swimming pool, a company, all these things. And the truth is, that was not the internal reality. There were some things that had gone wrong in the business that were somewhat outside of my control. And I had fallen into a really, I mean, what I know now is like a deep clinical depression. Um, I would get up in the morning late because I didn't want to get out of bed and literally like go into the kitchen, get a bowl of cereal and like cry over my cereal. And nobody but Amy knew what was, that that this was a kind of the condition of my soul at this point. Um, Everybody outside of my wife, when they asked me how I was doing, um, I told them I was doing great. Like I was really, really good at putting on this false front. And the reality was like I was deeply depressed and did not know, begin to know how to cope with this, this situation. And it's because Amy had the courage to reach out to my parents um, and tell them what was going on um, that my that the ultimately i found that you know came out of that spiral um i remember vividly like driving down the road one day in my lexus that at that point i really couldn't afford anymore because of what was happening with the business and my cell phone rings and it's my dad and he's calling as he often did just to check in on me and says how are things going and i gave him the same line that i always give or always gave at that point which is oh things are great and he said to me, John, no, how are things really going? And I knew at that point that he knew. And I remember, I can picture it now where I pulled over into this little side street and sat there just in tears and like told him the truth of what was happening and how I was afraid we were going to lose everything. And I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was 23, 24 years old and thought I was way more successful than I really was. And, um, and I remember my dad just like, offering to come alongside me and help me navigate this and um it was like there was suddenly a light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't necessarily a train coming the other direction uh, i remember going home sitting down with amy saying hey i think you talked to my dad and she's like yep i did and i said well here's here's what he's offered and and he had offered us a chance to uh go to texas and meet a come work for his company and the funny thing is it wasn't our normal pattern at that point to 
pray and ask God like what we should do. Um, but I felt like, hey, let's let's pray. Like this is important. Let's pray and ask God what we should do. And so we took some time over the next few days, and uh, during that time, really sensed that God was saying, um, "No, I don't actually want you to run away from this situation, but I'm going to walk with you through this." And so I ended up not taking the position with my dad's company, but they did step in and, and help us in a number of ways. And long story short, the business recovered, and that's when. Um, God opened the door and, and said, hey, I want you guys to go do this thing in, in Australia and I want you to like, get rid of everything you have so that you're not tied to any of it. Um, and it's only because we, you know, I got to the place where I was sort of at bottom where we said, okay, God, you get to, you have a say now in where things go from here that we would, that I was ready to then, you know, six months or a year later uh, be open to the idea of giving it all up and going and doing something else. That part of the story, um, especially, you know, as a young guy in my 20s, uh, just hearing that combined tension of, uh, on the one hand, it feels so humiliating when you actually uh, have to air the fact that you that it's not all going well. Even if things look like they're coming together, there's such a sense of not quite being in control of them or not quite being the captain of the ship that makes it really intimidating, um, not wanting to have to receive help. And just hearing uh, in your story, there's a huge way in which that actually comes together where through relationships, family, and then especially through um, the advice of older man, in this case, your dad, just how helpful that can be. I want to turn a corner and actually talk about, you currently have a, a pretty successful YouTube channel, right? Yeah, it's kind of a secret, but yeah, we I do. That's true. Not a secret anymore, John. <laughs> it's funny. It, it like it's not something that most of the people in my world know about, um, and I don't know why that is. It's, but probably because our our target audience for our channel is is not like my peer group. So we have about seventy thousand people that subscribe to our channel, and seventy thousand is not a small number. That's massive. I mean, as far as I know, I think I've got two people following me on Google+. Plus. <laughs> uh, you have one. I, I unfollowed you. Oh, dang it. I'm going to pull a Ken Bone, and they're both my grandmother. She just forgot her login. So it's, our audience is 90% female, and mostly between the age of probably 10 and 28 um, is our core audience. Um, but yeah, so three years ago, my wife, Amy, came to me and said, hey, I, I think I want to start producing a regular video and posting it on YouTube showing our family life. Um, she had been inspired because she watched a, a, a family, um, the Butler family, they have a channel called The Shaytards um, that has four and a half million subscribers. And she had watched those guys since the early years uh, when they started posting seven or eight years ago. And just saw, like, she, she says that during some of the years when I was gone and traveling a lot with business, that for her, she would sit down and, and watch their family, like, as medicine, because it gave her a picture of what a happy, healthy family could be like. So she watched these guys for years and really was inspired by them. And she came to me and said, hey, I, I want to do the same thing. And, and my response was basically, that, that's fine. As long as like none of my world finds out about it, <laughs> um, 
because like, you know, I'm this sort of professional guy and I've got a career and, you know, some people look to me as having some things to say about online marketing and stuff. And so, you know, I didn't want also it to be like, here's John, like roughhousing with his kids in the living room. Like that didn't seem to match, at least in my mind back then. And so she posted, she started posting videos and uh, she would post like uh, kind of sporadically, maybe once a week for the first year or so. And uh, a couple of years into it, we, we probably had like four or 500 subscribers. Um, and then earlier this year, um, things really began to take off and um, it's gone from, you know, a few hundred to 70,000 and growing. And I'm actively involved in it now. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I admit that, that it's something that I do. So yeah, it's, it's been fascinating. You taking some ownership of it takes it from the realm of it being uh, your wife or your children's uh, craft or hobby and something that you're, you're owning, right? And if you're owning it, then you're bringing certain things to the table. Yeah, and I think a lot of the... I wish I could say that, hey, last year, and it was about a year ago, it was Thanksgiving of last year when I decided to get actively involved in it. I wish I could say like that was the turning point and I brought all those skills to bear that we discussed earlier and things just supernaturally turned around and became huge. And, the miracle. and that wasn't... The, right, the miracle. That, that actually didn't happen. Like I got involved and nothing changed. We still got like 15 people would watch every video we posted over the course of a week. Um, what, what happened was in January of this year, our youngest daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And we ended up spending three or four days in ICU. And it was, you know, a really difficult time for, especially for Aspen, but for our entire family. But because we were at this point vlogging, we were videoing everything. We videoed that experience. And when we got back from the hospital, I took the next day off work and sat down and edited that footage. And we posted that to YouTube. And um, that was our first like big hit episode. And so now it's not, 15 people, it might be, you know, 15,000 people that watch an episode when we post it. And so um, it's been, we, we have this remarkable community of people around the world that we're connected to now that God's opened all kinds of interesting doors to. Yeah, that's, you know, probably intriguing because that looks uh, really different than the rest of the projects you've given your attention to. What about the family vlog is satisfying to the kind of entrepreneurial side of you it's really interesting because it actually hits on sort of two core levels one is from from a having impact on people's lives perspective this has been as or more fruitful than anything we've done especially as a family i mean the stories that i could tell just over this past year of people who are never going to walk into my physical life because they're in other countries and they're in crazy situations. Um, but because they have access to YouTube, um, they've been able to watch our family and pick up something of, of you know, from my perspective of, of the kingdom of God in our family. We, we have seen remarkable story after remarkable story. And so that, that in and of itself is really, really satisfying. The other part, frankly, from the business side that's satisfying is YouTube is also a business. You know, when you're watching YouTube and an ad pops up and you watch that ad or, you know, click through after four seconds like most of us do, 
that money is split between YouTube and the channel creator. Um, and so we now have a nice little secondary income from YouTube and also doors are opening for us to do brand deals. And yeah, so, so there are companies who are very interested in reaching the exact audience that we have and, and we get to steward, you know, what does it look like to use that voice? And, and there's a business side to that, which um, certainly sort of has my entrepreneurial side of me uh, well motivated. There's definitely some part of me that has mixed feelings on the the YouTube uh, business side, though I know it's totally there and I know that it, it opens incredible doors. I think I've seen it held up as like the miracle exceptions as like the new American dream for a lot of young guys. And like even for myself, when I can look and see, you know, some guy opening boxes or running around town with a paintball gun or just, you know, streaming them playing video games and they're making more money than I'm making, putting in 40 hours a week at a desk. Like that is really, really hard mentally. And because it seems like the the kind of the invitation. It's, it's like they like hit the possible. lottery, right? Yeah. And, and it feels like maybe yeah. it's less astronomically impossible than the lottery. So it feels like why, why, if, why, if them, why not me? So two, two things that I would say to that. One is I tell people all the time, do not start a YouTube channel for the money. Um, the chance of any one person having a YouTube channel that actually makes any significant money is very, very slim. Um, and there is something of a miracle that has to happen. <laughs> you know, the, the Google algorithm chooses to to bless your channel with with traffic. Um, now, obviously, traffic, unless you have compelling content, like the traffic's not going to do anything. But I, I tell people, don't start a channel unless it's something you're really passionate about and that you would do even if you don't make money. Yeah, that's good. The second part is it's a it's a it is a lot of work, and so. <laughs> You know, to just put it like in context, you end up making about a thousand bucks for every million views your channel gets. So last month, we had about a million views and we put in probably between Amy and I 20 to 30 hours a week uh, between shooting, editing, responding to comments, all of that. Now, where where it gets interesting, I think, is you look at these people that have millions and millions of views a month, and you know they're not putting a lot more work in than we are. So it is sort of your classic: you put the work in, you put the effort in, and you know a few people it ends up being very financially lucrative for. Um, but if it was just about the money, there are way easier ways to go make a lot of money. But for us, this does it feels like something God is in. Um, not because of the money, uh, but because of the lives that are being touched. And and that's the part that really gets me excited about what's happening there. Yeah, that's super cool. I kind of as like a, a culmination final question for you. Um, if you would create a business or a marketing plan now without worrying about, uh, you know, the crushing pressure of potential like financial success and failure, wanting to do good in the world, let's just take like the miracle off the table if you could do put some the miracle on the table, well, I mean, maybe put the miracle on the table. If you could do something that you would would be turning your attention to now, what would that look like? Man, it it looks a lot like what I do every day. Um, I, you know, I get to work with the team at Ransom Heart with your dad, um, 
And, you know, frankly, at this point, I probably could go work a lot of different places if I wanted to. Um, but there, there's something about seeing people's lives changed and transformed and marriages finding healing and reconciliation and parents being healthy so that their kids can grow up in healthy homes. Like, that's the stuff that I'm passionate about. And so the fact that what I get to do is be part of the team at Ransom Heart where we have that type of impact on people's lives and then that we have a side project as a couple, you know, with with our YouTube channel, The Dale Tribe, like that that does similar things, but in a very different way. Um, I I love my life. I love what I get to do. And I'm I'm not sure that I would change much. Yeah, and you may or may not know that we actually ask uh, each of our guests to close a podcast with a song that we pick. So uh, we think you're familiar oh, with the series. I thought you were going to say Psalm, and I was going to be like, uh, I didn't know that. Long Way Round. If you could just give us a few bars of the, the opening song to that, and we'll, uh, we'll roll our credits. Oh my goodness, I love it. Um, Trademark issues here. I know. So, so copyright. I gotta hear you, John. This is karaoke. Oh, wait for the chorus. Wait, wait, wait. Where's the chorus? It's coming. Away and. That's why I'm not a singer. All right, right, guys. Thanks thanks for listening to the Anton's podcast. That was John Dale. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll be back with you next week with some more great content. So take care. Thanks, John. (laughs) You bet, guys.